2: Welcome to a cold, dreary Tuesday afternoon. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions and life questions and whatever else is on your heart. Uh, All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR numerically that's six three zero five seven five seven. you can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free calvary chapel mobile app if you are driving in your car the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app, and then with your hands-free feature on your phone, uh, you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Well, we don't have anything to do but wait for questions today, so I'll get right to the questions that um, have been sent in, and we'll go from there. The first one comes from Lee Leanne. And she says, how can anyone know for sure the Bible is true? Um, Leanne, uh, th- this requires investment of time. It requires study. Uh, the Bible will witness to your spirit that it is the truth. Um, but you've got to give it a chance to do that. And by that, I mean, you've got to read it. You've got to study it. You've got to figure out exactly what it is. Now, I, I'm, I'm always careful when I get this question. Uh, because, as you've heard me say in this program many times, this is the most important thing any new Christian can do. Um, for me, um, it was um, the most significant thing uh, after receiving Christ, the most significant thing that uh, that I've done in, in all of my years as a believer, which is 29 years this month. Um, I needed to know. I had a lot of questions. Um, Leanne, you, you're obviously curious uh christians would answer my questions with the bible says and i had to figure out whether or not the bible was true it didn't make sense to me that this could be a book written by men and a book written by god i didn't understand it i was brand new in my faith um and and i needed to know and so if every time i asked a question the answer was the bible says i really had to dig in for me leanne it took just short of three months And I was completely 100% convinced. And what I did, and here's what I'll recommend to you, um, dig in, find out where we got our Bible, how we got it, how it's been preserved over the centuries. And then look for for questions that you have. As you're reading it, look for questions. Look for the answers in those questions. And eventually, there's going to be a point where you're convinced. And once you're convinced... And it's not just blind faith, it's obviously faith, but we're convinced by faith based on facts or faith based on evidence. And there will be a time when God speaks so clearly to you uh, through the Holy Spirit as you're in the Word that you will know. And once you know for sure, that's when you'll be um, in a place where God can begin to move you and shape you and mold you. But you've got to get rid of the doubt. So I can give you all the evidence, the manuscript evidence. I can give you the, the architectural evidence. I can give you the prophetic evidence. And then, as I mentioned a moment ago, the spiritual evidence, that, 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 you know, your, your your spirit bears witness that these things are true. But, Leanne, I can't do that for you, nor can anybody, nor can anybody else. This is something you've got to do. And I'll tell you two things, Leanne, that it did for me, and these are the two things I'll promise it will do for you. The first is I've never had a doubt in 29 years about my salvation. I've never had to wrestle with, can you lose your salvation? Can you walk away from your salvation? How do you know you're really saved? I've never had a doubt. Once I settled the issue of the Bible being true, I've never had a moment's And I mean that literally, not a moment's doubt. The second thing is even, I think, a bigger key. I've never had a moment's doubt since that moment when I settled it that the Bible was true and it contained all of the answers for every and any problem that we have in life. And it is so comforting to know that there's nothing I'm going to face that isn't covered in the Word. And Leanne, that's what you want but you've got to find out for yourself. I know a lot of people who want to know that quick answer, but they don't want to dig in and find out for themselves. Finding out for yourself will be the most important thing that you do uh, after receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me, if you are a a reader, you like to read, uh, let me um, offer a couple of suggestions. There's a book by Josh McDowell called uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, it's got uh, two huge sections in there on our Bible, how we got it, and 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 what all the evidence is for its veracity. Uh, that's a great one if you want to start. And it's scholarly. It's it's not easy reading. If you want to start with something a little bit easier, uh, Lee Strobel has written a book called The Case for the Bible, uh, and he gives you the same foundation, but he does it uh, in in a more readable way. There's also another. a a set of books, two of them actually, by a man named Paul Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E, called Know What You Believe and Know Why You Believe. And um, knowing why you believe uh, would be uh, the section it deals with, or the, the edition it deals with the questions about the Bible. So I hope that helps you, Leanne. Very, very important thing. Uh, Let's go to Sibolo and talk with John on line one. John, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Thank you for taking my call, Pastor. Um, I have two questions, and they're both out of the book of Numbers. In Numbers 14, verse 18, Moses said, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation, and I'm confused about that because I thought God did not hold the children guilty for what the parents did. And my other question is in Numbers, uh, verse chapter 15, around I mean, uh, yeah, 15 verse 32 where it's talking about Moses and Aaron are having an individual stoned to death for gathering wood on the Sabbath, which I know was it's against the law to work on the Sabbath. But can you explain how, when Jesus performed miracles on the Sabbath, what the difference is? And I mean, I'm just confused about that. I know Jesus didn't sin, but why was it a sin to gather wood Uh if you understand my question.
2: Yeah, I think I do, John. Thanks very, very much. Let me take that one first. Um, uh, Jesus, of course, understood the, the real value of the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus kept the Sabbath, make no mistake. He didn't violate any Sabbath laws. But... Uh, He understood and, and, and gave clarification. He said the Sabbath was made for man. It wasn't the other way around. And Jews misunderstood it. They look at God's Sabbath law and they believe that, well, okay, if I do those things, then God will accept me. And then they would, would would honor the Sabbath at least from their perspective, and leave uh, other laws completely undone and, and and the more important ones about mercy and and justice and and loving your neighbor those kinds of things so um, um, th- this man was was simply ignoring the Sabbath law and doing so willfully, and that was the um, that was the punishment I remember Paul and I experiencing the pain of this kind of thing firsthand uh, when I was in Bible college Uh, our kids uh, at first lived with Paul in in our little apartment while I was up at the mountain on Bible college Um, and we told them that was fine as long as they followed the rules Uh, and I couldn't have been more clear about what the rules were and what the consequences of violating those rules would be After telling them that, I I asked them as clearly as I can, do you understand? And they agreed. Well, the very next night, the son that we didn't expect to break the rules did. And so we asked him, did you understand what we'd spoken about? He said, yes. I said, well, then you have to leave the house. You've got to move. He was absolutely astonished. You're really going to kick me out? He cried. I said, what did you think was going to happen? Well, that's kind of what Moses is going through here. This is about fearing God in a healthy way. So uh, the, the, the punishment uh, was clear. Uh, they simply ignored the punishment. Um, regarding chapter, um, I think you said verse 18, 14, 18. Um, where the Lord is slow to anger. I have a friend, every time I read this verse, I have a friend who goes, Lord is slow to anger, bounding in love. And when he gets to abounding in love, he goes, abounding in love. And he's just the kind of guy that can pull that off. And here he is, he's warning them. He's drawing lines in the sand. And um, when he says he's punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, um, we know, and, and you can go to Exodus chapter 20, John, and he says... He punishes the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, but only for those who hate him. But to those who love him, he extends a thousand years of what we would call grace. At that time, they would say mercy. So God doesn't punish the children. Here's the idea here that because the parents are disobedient, because the children are being raised to live their lives like the parents, then the consequences that come on the fathers are going to come on the children. Again, it's not God punishing, it's just the natural consequences for sin. And Exodus chapter 20 gives you the clarity. Remember Moses wrote both of these, so he's not giving us a different teaching, he's just leaving out the... um, um, idea of the grace and and the mercy extended for a thousand generations the contrast is uh, the children of the disobedient are going to grow up to be disobedient and this is almost prophetic in its writing because that's exactly what was going to happen and constantly from this time for uh, uh, three to four generations um, they would rebel against God repeatedly and those consequences John would be left with them so, I hope that makes sense to you It's uh, um, numbers um, is against not a different teaching than the exodus. It's pretty much the same teaching. It just doesn't have the same detail of information regarding the others. Good questions. I like that you're reading the Old Testament, John. Here is a question from Adele uh, She says, "I was told that it was a sin to ask God questions." How can I learn if I don't get to ask questions and get answers? Um, Adele, I don't know who told you it was sin to ask God questions. It's not. Um, God appreciates it when we're curious. So when you need to know um, what to do um, or or what God wants from you, then ask him the questions and he will lead you. If you really want to know the answers, he will lead you. Open your Bible and he'll tell you. Now, Here's what is a sin, Adele. It's a sin to question God. I think most of us understand the difference. You know, Job asked God questions, and he finally got to the point where he was questioning God. And that's when God revealed himself to him, and, and, and Job, I'm in, I, I'm in sackcloth and ashes here. Uh, before I'd only heard about you, but now I've seen you. So, Adele, it's not a sin to ask questions. I think God encourages questions. As long as your questions are honest, and you're going to use the information and and, and be obedient, then you're going to find that God is very pleased with you. But questioning God is an entirely different thing altogether. So uh, I hope that makes sense. You know, God, why did you let this happen to me? Is not a question, that's questioning. But if you want to know, God, why would you? Just like the question we just had from from John, uh, God, why would you punish the sins, uh, punish the children for the sins of the fathers? Uh, and then then he can get the explanation I just gave that well, the children are going to continue in those sins, and they're going to bring the punishment on themselves. So uh, Adele, ask all the questions you want. Um, I've said this before, but I'm a really curious guy. And, and when I had um, uh, question after question after question, uh, I wore God out, I wore people out. I just wanted to know. And the more I got in terms of answers to my questions, the more excited about Jesus I became. Keep asking questions, Adele. Thank you very, very much here is an anonymous question. It says, I struggle with being in church around people. I'm shy and I feel awkward when people approach me to talk with me. Um, Anonymous, I understand that. Um, We have some people like that here. They don't stay like that for long typically, but, uh, but there are always people that have trouble in crowds and and uh, people that would rather be all alone, but here's the thing: you've got to understand that God in you, as a as a believer, Christ in you, you have the power that raised Christ from the dead, living in you. And it's not okay to just keep struggling with it. And would you, Lord, help me? I want to be a light to other people. I want to be a source of encouragement or a source of comfort for other people. And. Um, This is what's classic worship. Every time you see worship in the Old Testament, something died. In the New Testament, it's called a sacrifice of praise. And so when you sacrifice your feelings, when you do what makes you uncomfortable, and you do it for Jesus, anonymous, that's when he's the most pleased with you. So go. You need to be a part of church. You cannot have a healthy walk with the Lord if you're not. I say that unequivocally. You cannot have a healthy walk with Jesus unless you are an active part of a local church. So go, get involved, and do it for the Lord. He'll give you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it, and He'll be so pleased with you. You'll experience that pleasure. I call it um, feeling the smile of God, and you'll, you'll, you'll feel it. You know, Anonymous... Um, one of the things I do, and, and we get shy people, they want to meet me and Paula. Uh, we'll talk to them. And Well, where can I serve? You know, I don't want to serve. I'm shy. And the first thing I'll tell them is, um, you need to be in the usher ministry. That's a good place to start because then you're forced to come out of your shell. Uh, you're forced to get to know people's names, and you're forced to let people get to know you. And the people that take that step of faith uh, well, they get blessed abundantly, and then, of course, they become an abundant blessing to others. So never be okay with just struggling. God has so much more for you. All you have to do is allow Him to do it. You know, the Apostle Paul, I love this line. He said that that uh, talking about the Spirit of God's power, he says the the, uh, the things that he does, he does by the, the Spirit of God who works so effectively in or through me, he said. And you'll find that if you if you keep giving in to not going to church because you're shy and feel awkward, um, well, then you're quenching the work the Holy Spirit wants to do. Paul also tells us to do not quench the Spirit of God. So this is something, and I don't say this with any insensitivity at all. I realize how difficult these struggles are for some people, but um you gotta get over it. This is just something that by the power of God's Spirit you've got to get over. God will not let you be tempted or tested by something that He won't overcome. So go for it, Anonymous. Here's a question from Andy. Excuse me, I'd clear my throat. Andy said, "Pastor, and I studied the early church fathers because they lived closer to the time of Jesus. Do you think their writings should carry more weight than modern commentators?" Andy, I don't, and and I've never understood the logic. Um, people say, "Well, they lived closer to the time of Jesus, so they knew." Well, all you have to do is read Paul's letters to the Galatians and to the Colossians, and you see uh, the same thing. With John, First uh, John, is and Second John, uh, we see heresies already entering, damnable heresies already entering the church in the first century. So, what makes anybody think that the early church fathers? know any more than we did. I'm going to go one step further and say that they might have known less. They would have been carried away. We know many of them were carried away by traditions. Traditions that we know contradict what's written in our Bibles. So yeah, there is value in the early church fathers. But uh, I don't think they're a bit smarter, a bit more spiritual than people that are writing commentaries today. Andy, I'm going to shock you here. I don't think they're any more spiritually smarter than you are. You've got your Bible. You've got the full Word of God. You know, the first century church, they didn't have a written Bible like we have. So what you've got to do is just wrestle with the Word of God. Study to show yourself to prove. The workman rightly dividing the word of God but do not get carried away with the uh, intellectual argument that, that well the early church fathers are giants and we stand on their shoulders yeah there were some giants Polycarp and others but, but honestly they had no more insight than you have or I have and unfortunately unfortunately uh, there's a group of people and they, they, they spend all of their time reading the writings of the early church fathers and, and, and they're responsible for a lot of the traditions that we get caught up in if you want to, to uh, look at uh, Anglicans or, or Episcopalians or Methodists um, you know their pedigree goes back a long way and you'll find the intellectuals there that really really heavily weight the early church fathers and their traditions, the problem with that is that every one of those I'm catching a cold so that was a sneeze. Uh, Every one of those uh, denominations have dismantled the word of God And, and they no longer hold to the inerrancy and the infallibility of the word. So you hold on to your Bible, Andy, and you're going to be just fine. And there are some wonderful, wonderful commentators that are writing now just as there were um, all those years ago. So, no, I think I think you need to sort of reconsider your logic there, Andy. 3409585, I think we're inside a couple of minutes here for this half of the program. Um, Matt asked the question, why is it that the Holy Spirit doesn't get more attention in our church services? We praise the Father and the Son, but not the Holy Spirit. But without Him, we can do nothing. Uh, Matt, I don't agree with your assessment. I think when when we are praising the Father and praising the Son, we are praising the Holy Spirit. Remember, there's no competition. I think what you mean, uh, if I'm understanding your question right, is that we don't um, sort of let the Holy Spirit just have his way in the church Remember, the Holy Spirit's job is to testify about Jesus, to convince us of Jesus, of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He's always pointing to Jesus. The Holy Spirit would never point to Himself. So to go to a church service where it's come, Holy Spirit, come, and we're moving, and we're swaying back and forth, and we're waiting for a sound of a mighty rushing wind, that is to misunderstand the ministry of the Holy Spirit completely. And most of the churches that take the approach where the Holy Spirit becomes preeminent in the church service, um, most of those are out of control. Um, charismatic, crazy charismatic churches. So, um, I, we're not neglecting the Holy Spirit at all. You know, Matt, I, I get up in the mornings and, and I say, good morning, Father, good morning, Jesus, good morning, Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of the activity of the triune God in my life Um, you just stay with Jesus and the Holy Spirit smiling on you because that's exactly what he's leading you to do hey we've got 30 minutes left in the program we'd love your live calls and questions 340-9585 this is the word to stand on for life we'll be back in two minutes
1: A question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life, you can send it to him via email at pastorronkslr
3: at gmail.com. That's pastorronkslr at gmail.com.
0: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to our show. It's a Tuesday edition. Uh, let's go right to the phone lines and talk with Maria on Line 1. Maria, thanks for calling. You are on the radio.
3: Hi, how are you?
2: I'm doing well, thank you.
3: Great. Um, I am 50. I'll be 52 by the end of the the month. And um, I'm worried that I've never been married. And I just don't want to be single all my life. <laughs> Is that something bad to always pray about? Or well, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, first, let me tell you, stop bragging that you're so young. <laughs> Compared, <laughs> Compared to me, you are. Um, so no, funny. Maria, that's something. God's put that desire in your heart. So, no, that's not something you should ever get tired of praying for. Or, or uh, I mean, that's one of those things that you just knock on the, the door of heaven daily. Now, you don't make it an idol and you don't make it uh, the source of your, your peace or joy. But you just say, Lord, uh, I, I've always wanted to be married. Um, I believe this desire in my heart is from you. So I'm offering my body, my life as a living sacrifice. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and I'm going to trust that you're going to lead me to the man that you want um, me to serve you with. And and if if you do that, if you follow Jesus, you know, I, so often with singles, especially as we get a little bit past middle age, we, we start worrying about time and running out. Um, Maria, the, the best thing you can do to ensure that God answers that prayer is to serve God with all of your heart now where you are in your single condition. I always tell people that when they want to be married and they're not yet married, then God has them in training to be married, sort of in preparation to be married. And not only is he preparing you for somebody, he's preparing that somebody for you and the way you, you're going to find that out is just to serve God completely. Give yourself completely over to the Lord and, um, and trust those hopes and dreams with Him. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with being single, but but I recognize that not everybody, in fact, most people don't want to remain single. So keep mm-hmm. um, looking, keep uh, praying, uh, keep trusting the Lord. And in the meantime, Uh, wherever it is you go to church, uh, serve. Um, I personally think, and people, I don't know why so many people are opposed to this, but I think there's no better place to find somebody than in church. If you're serving, and you run into somebody else who's serving, and you get to uh, observe his faith, or he gets to observe your faith up close and personal, and, and they can see and measure your commitment to Jesus, well, well, I've seen over and over and over um, those people be brought together by God, and, and once they get married, then they just keep serving. That's what they were doing before, but they just keep serving the Lord. Instead of doing it by themselves, now they're doing it together as partners. So don't be discouraged. I know sometimes that's hard. At the same time, I think too often we try to take matters into our own hands, Christians will get on dating apps or Christian dating sites, or uh, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll try to get hooked up with friends. I, I don't think you have to do that. I think if you're following Jesus, He's going to take you to the man that He has waiting for you. And Maria, you know what I'm going to okay. do? I'm going to be pr- I'm going to be praying for you um, because oh, I, you. I, I think I, I think this is something God wants to do. So keep me posted from time to time, will you?
3: I will. I promise.
2: Okay. Thank, thank you, you very so much. Very much. Bye-bye. And I will be praying for Maria. I think that's wonderful. It's just, we have to wait for the Lord's timing. Christians, we are too impatient. Here is a question that's either going to get me in trouble or, well, let me just read. It's anonymous. It says, I get angry at Christians who vote for or support Trump. With his lifestyle, how can a Christian vote for him? Uh, Anonymous, you're awfully judgy. <laughs> you're awfully judgy. I mean, think about this for a moment. Um, I don't stand on this radio program and say, oh, I don't see how anybody can vote for a Democrat when they kill babies. There are Christians who are Democrats. There are Christians who support vocally, in some cases, uh, our president now. It doesn't mean when we vote for him that we are supporting his lifestyle or that we're approving his lifestyle. Uh, Honestly, uh, our president—I'm—I'm—I'm saying this descriptively with no disrespect—but our president doesn't live a life that honors the Lord. Um, There's there's no fruit, no evidence at all that he is a believer. And as Christians, that means we ought to pray for him. Anonymous, um, with your focus turning into anger at believers who vote for him or support him, um, you need to protect your heart and be praying for him. I want President Trump to get saved, just like I prayed for eight years for Barack Obama. But I can tell you why Christians voted for Trump and who and why they will vote for him again. It was the conservative president, and in this case Donald Trump, who sort of stemmed the tide, this free fall into evil and wickedness in this country. I mean the last president we had, it was under his leadership that our nation approved gay marriage. Whatever the country approves increases exponentially. We've seen that happen. In twenty fifteen, the gay community wasn't nearly as militant or as vocal. And now these five years later, just five years, we've got children in elementary school questioning their gender. We got children in elementary school saying that they're gay. Why? Because we live in a world that tells them it's okay. We needed to stop that. And so a president was elected who stopped that. He, he, he appointed Supreme Court justices that would... support a more traditional view of things like marriage. Who would be more in opposition to murdering children? I'm telling you, if we'd had another four years after President Obama, of this free fall into leftism and, and um, uh, just, just wickedness, defiant, willful sin... I don't know that our nation would have ever recovered. And we live in a time where right now the only thing that's standing between those who support these things and those of us who do not is a president and a senate and a judiciary that is sort of putting the brakes of those things. And I will not be bullied by this world into accepting that which God says is sin I just won't and I would question your values Uh, I'm assuming you're a believer I would question your walk with the Lord if you would consider voting for a pro murder democrat just because President Trump lives an immoral lifestyle. Look, I I wish he was more mature. I wish that he was more presidential. I wish that he was someone that we could point to as a light for Christ. But you know what? He's none of those things. But here's what I know. I know that, choosing my words carefully here, I know that we are not free falling into the darkness and wickedness nearly as quickly as we were before him. So if I vote for Donald Trump in the next election, that'll be the reason why because I'm tired of darkness winning the day. We're not going to find a perfect candidate. So yeah, I wish it was a lot of things about President Trump that were different. But relatively speaking... His shortcomings, his immorality, his brusque tone, his thoughtless statements um, pale in comparison to murdering 65 million babies since 1973 when Roe v. Wade began the Law of the Land. So I hope that answers your question and gives you a little bit of perspective this isn't a political show, but that's the question you asked. 3409585, Agnes says, Pastoran was the woman caught in adultery, Mary Magdalene. The answer is no. Uh, the Catholic Church, of course, places the tradition that it was Mary Magdalene, but it wasn't. There is no evidence. In fact, the evidence uh, to the contrary is that this was another woman caught in the act of adultery. Mary Magdalene, what we know about her is that she was inhabited, possessed by seven demons. Um, There would have been no end to the terrible life that she lived. Um, But this is not the woman uh, in the Gospel of John who was caught in the act of adultery, not at all. Um, So, I hope that straightens that out for you, Agnes. Um. Sarah says, I'm wondering if a church should be focused more on discipleship of believers or more on community outreach and evangelism. Mm-hmm. Sarah, the way you f- phrase the question, the answer is yes. <laughs> the, the church should be uh, focused uh, more on discipleship for believers. And in so doing, then we would, we would be out in the community and we would be sharing Jesus with people. Um, but, but, I think that 's important, Sarah. Let me tell you a quick story. When I was a brand new believer um, so excited about what God had done in my life and uh, i I remember I just told this story in church last week I think um, I, I would walk by people on the street or in the store wherever it was, and I would stare at them in not not in a creepy way but kind of looking into their eyes, um, asking God, show me if they 're yours I want them to be I want people to be saved. And, and if I got an idea that maybe they weren't, or they're having a bad day, then, then I'd want to be be there to tell them about Jesus. And uh, I kept thinking, Lord, and this was about the time when I was, uh, I knew I was called to be a pastor, only six months old in the Lord. And I, I just thought, Lord, I want everybody in the church to share I want us to be evangelists I want us to win souls and the Lord sort of stopped me in my tracks and he said here's what you're going to do and and I didn't grasp the, the the depth of this then but he said I want you to teach people to act more like me and if more Christians would act like me then we couldn't build churches fast enough to hell all the people would be coming to me And that made so much sense to me. I'm a practical guy, sort of look at at the foundation of problems. And I just thought, you know, that's the problem. There's just too many Christians who don't act like Jesus. There's too many Christians who are immature in their faith or who are spiritually lazy. And, And because that's the case, uh, we're out in the world and we're behaving just like people in the world. And the and the unbelieving world around us looks at us and sort of points and laughs at us and calls us hypocrites. Jesus said, and I'm going to affirm this, that if more Christians knew me better, if they would act like me more, then people would get saved. The way to do that, Sarah, is through discipleship. And, and I'm not talking about one-on-one discipleship. Teaching the Bible, that's what we do. So... Our church is focused on teaching the Word. It is taught at every level, from uh, toddlers on up. Um, We teach it verse by verse. Now, obviously at different levels for different ages and audiences, but uh, we just teach the Bible. And in the process, people grow in their faith. They get solid and grounded and more and more mature. And as they do that, they change They think differently. They embrace what God has for them because we're introducing them to Jesus in the course of Bible study. And for 25 years, Sarah, that's what we've been doing. And the result of that is we have enormous community outreach here at Calvert Chapel. And we have active evangelism programs where people are getting saved. In fact, some of the community outreaches are the evangelism programs. So um, I think the answer to the question is yes, but it all begins with discipleship. We are just too spiritually lazy to really dig into our Bibles. And the result, Sarah, is an immature body that's looking for um, wealth and prosperity, health messages, um, self-esteem messages, instead of just a message that shows you this is who Jesus is. Uh, the last two Sundays here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio as an example uh, and we're going to be doing it for a third Sunday at the end of Luke 23 this week Uh, we're at the cross with Jesus you know that's not a message it makes people feel particularly warm and fuzzy but it's important to present Jesus in his fullness and his passion was never more evident for us toward us than when he was on the cross. So those are really important questions. Thank you, Sarah. Let's go to Sandra from the Hill Country. Sandra, thank you for calling. You're on the on the air.
3: Yes, I wanted to confirm what you told the the woman who was interested in being married, and okay. uh, I came to a point that. I felt that same way, and I even made a list of the three things I wanted in a husband. And one was I wanted someone who would be the head of the household and not let me uh, take over. Uh, I wanted a man who was mechanical and could fix things, and I wanted a spiritual leader. I was too bi- too, too immature and a baby Christian to to know the term spiritual leader, but I wanted a man that loved Jesus as much or more than I did. Good for you. Well, I did what you said. I chose a church, a large church, and I got involved. And I worked in the Sunday school, and I worked in the library, and I came to Wednesday night and Sunday night. And five years later, Prince Charming came along to our (laughs) Sunday school class (laughs) And it wasn't necessary to kiss any more frogs.
2: (laughs) Bless your heart. Oh, Sandra, bless your Maria, I hope you're still listening, because that is eyewitness testimony. Uh, Five years is what it took, huh, Sandra?
3: Five years. But I enjoyed the five years. I I (laughs) quit looking. And, however, I have to say that I wasn't completely sold out. I kept one foot in the world. Mm. But God... um, with His grace, sent me a very spiritual Christian who was a, a wonderful husband and father, and uh, uh, I've, I was greatly blessed, and I didn't deserve it. But everything <laughs> Sandra, you said is exactly what everybody needs to do.
2: Hard and you, and you know, maybe if the one foot wasn't in the world for a time, it would have only taken a year or two. But who knows? I know. but God answered your prayer. Do you mind me asking? And if you do, it's okay. But do you mind me asking how old you were when you got married?
3: Well, I went to to the. I made the commitment at 25. I got married at 29 and six days under 30. Good for six you. Six days less than 30, and we were married for 35 years.
2: Bless your Uh, heart.
3: Have a a precious family and just God just blessed me immensely and I never felt like I deserved it. I just wanted it. But I didn't feel like that he he would give it to me because I deserved it.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Sandra. God bless you for that. You know, the only thing I would add there, the last thing that she said. And her list of qualifications is the most important. And Maria, this is specific for you. Pray for a man that loves Jesus more than he loves you. Pray for a man that loves Jesus more than you do, at least as much as you do. And then, purpose in your heart to be obedient and follow that man as he follows Jesus. And I think sometimes, you know, we we start compromising as we get a little bit more desperate, or as time passes. Um, uh, Sandra didn't have to adjust her priorities at all. Sandra, I was laughing when you were telling me your, the, the, the three things that you wanted when you said you wanted a mechanical man who was fixed. We never would have worked out because I can't fix anything. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I married a woman who can fix stuff. So I'm I'm fine with that. Sandra, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, I think the reason I love this show more than any other reason is because of my audience. Uh, we get testimonies and encouragement and confirmation about things. So, Maria, hang in there. Serve your church. Do it with your whole heart. Um, and God will answer your prayer. He's not. He didn't put that desire in your heart to be married to trick you. Wow, that was great! Thank you. Let's so say got one more time for one more question. We're inside four minutes now. This one is also anonymous. Uh, she says, "I'm a woman who struggles with lust. How do I take thoughts captive when I am being tempted?" Well, let me say first of all, thank you uh, for for women. A lot of times, this is a, a sin. That never comes out in the open we're we're unwilling to deal with it openly uh, because you know we we, we consider lust a man's sin or a man temptation that's just not true so so you're halfway there just by admitting it so here's how you take the thoughts captive um, open your Bible when you're being tempted, open your Bible. Remember, it's the enemy who's going to bring those lustful thoughts to you. Um, if every time uh, he starts to tempt you with lust, uh, you're going to open your Bible, he's going to get frustrated and try to f- find something else. Um, guard what you watch and what you listen to. Now, you don't say how young or old you are, but uh, I'll just give an example. I go to the gym here in the where our church is. And, and they play really, really filthy music. Um, and it's all about, uh, and songs sung by women, uh, all about uh, uh, sex and very, very graphic. Um, watch what you listen to is my point. That's one way you take your thoughts captive. Uh, I'm a big fan of replacement thinking. You know, when I'm thinking about ugly stuff, I need to catch myself, say, Lord, I don't want to think about that. I, I want to talk to you. I want to think about what you've done for me. And I replace the, the ugly thoughts with the, the thoughts that God uh, w- would encourage me and strengthen me with. Um, when you are tempted, remember, Anonymous, that Jesus is right there with you and, and you can ask him for help. Say, Lord, if I give in to these temptations, then I know you're going to have to leave me for a time, and I don't want that. I want to be close to you. And start talking to him. Walk with him. Take him with you wherever you go. But protect yourself from your computer. Protect yourself from music. Protect yourself from from movies or anything else that is a source of your struggle. Um, And that's what it means to take those thoughts captive. Just say, okay, here's the thought. Now, it's not a sin to have lustful thoughts it's a sin to give in to them and so when you have them recognize that that is an enemy who's trying to destroy you and then all you have to do is say well I don't want to make that choice Jesus I choose you but prayer being in the word um, being in the presence of the Lord and I mean that in the physical sense just be aware that he's with you And uh, I promise you, you will overcome those struggles with lust sooner rather than later. Remember, the enemy wants to destroy you. We are done for the Tuesday program. Um, Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May our Lord bless you and keep you. Be careful out on wet streets tonight and stay warm. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.